Matthew 13 is where we're going to start. Gordon said I've got until 8.50, which is about, what, about 24, 25 minutes, which is actually longer than the Cornhuskers play most of their games, so I'm excited to have a little more time than that. I got, an, uh, I got some laughs. I got, okay, well, fine. I am a little, I am a little uh, I, I, bear with me, though. I was up late last night. Today's actually my birthday. I was up late last night. Uh, thank you. I was up late last night kind of critiquing my message, and then I decided to break down and play a little bit of Fortnite, so, um, which is, uh, I'm, I'm terrible at it. Uh, so uh, my son plays with some of the kids in his elementary class, and so I've been playing, and not with his friends, that would be weird. Uh, <laughs> but actually, I did play one round with one of his friends. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Let's just say I should spend more time in God's Word than Fortnite. All right. Matthew 13. I'm going to read verses 44 through 46. I'll be reading from the ESV. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 44. The Bible says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's open this morning in prayer. O most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for an opportunity to gather a Nebraska Christian under the umbrella and the bubble of the gospel here. Father, you've woken up the, us this morning. You've given us the breath that we have, and every, our, our life is borrowed from you. We have nothing apart from you. Everything we have is from your hand of grace. And Father, I pray this morning, if there is someone here who has never turned from their sin and given their life to Jesus Christ, that today may be the day of salvation. And Father, for those of us here who do know Christ as our Savior, may we make Jesus and continue to make Him the object of our faith. Lord, we have hope like the world doesn't. And Lord, I pray that the Word of God will not return void this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, my message is simply entitled, The Importance of Jesus Christ. The Importance of of Jesus Christ. Everybody values something. You value something whether you know it or not. You may have never thought about it in that uh, category, but you hold something to be important. You hold something valuable. Now for some, it, it looks different for different people. There are some people who really value vehicles. I remember uh, being on staff with my grandfather in, in Oklahoma for a short time, and we would go out on Saturday, and we would, uh, my wife and I would pass out tracks and, and door knock, and, and we would come into people's uh, houses, or we would come on their, their porch on Saturdays, and we would see them, you know, washing their cars, and, and they, they, they love their vehicle. Big trucks, nice vehicles, and their car or their truck really is what they valued. It almost became an idol, if you will. They loved it. Uh, they, you know, it looked so good. They could talk about all the details under the hood. That's not my thing. But they loved it. And they valued it very much. You say, well, you say, well, I'm not a car person. Well, that's cool. You say, well, I value my cell phone. 
You say, do I really value my cell phone? Well, let's go 10 minutes without it. And when your hands start shaking and you don't know what to do, and like, what's this foreign thing that's in front of me with these white things? It's called a book. You can open it and read it. Um, you know, it's funny how I, even, even as, a, as a 35-year-old now, I, if my phone's beginning to die, I get a little bit anxious. You know, I've got to plug this thing in because, because I value what it can bring to the table. You've got social media. You've got uh, email. You've got Fortnite. You've got all these things that I can do from my phone, right? So it's great, and I, and I love my phone, but some people really value their phone. And, and to take the, step, the, the next step further is that some people really value Wi-Fi. Amen. When the Wi-Fi goes down, don't, some of you want to call 911. Like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, Mom, can you, give the, can you give the wireless router CPR or something so you can resuscitate this thing because the, the, the Wi-Fi is down. I don't know what we're going to do. Back before, before you had Wi-Fi, we had to actually stick the phone cable into the computer. Teachers, you remember that? You remember the AOL disc? We'd plug it in and get that little neo, 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 and it would take like seconds forever for this thing to, to load up. Oh, it took minutes, actually, depending. And then, and then when your parents picked up the phone, they couldn't talk to anybody because that, that noise came through the phone. Anyways, some people value Wi-Fi, and it is important. We, we value that. But th- we know that that has not a huge standard. It's just, you know, it's an item. Some of you value your life. Hopefully all of you do. Your life is important. God has given it to you. And you value it. So let me ask you, what is it that you value? Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a cell phone. Maybe it's a home. Maybe you value your, what your parents think of you. Maybe you value sports. I know when I was your age, by the way, congratulations to the football team being undefeated. When we were in high school, we were undefeated. And I really value that. In fact, I'll confess now that sports was my idol. I had every intention of going to try to walk on at the University of Iowa. But God had different plans. Uh, we went 9-0. and we had, our, we had a home game my senior year. We went 10-0. and And then we, had, we were one game away, one game away from going to the Unidome, which, which is the University of Northern Iowa. The last two games from every round, you play in a beautiful dome, the University of Northern Iowa. We were up 33-14 at half. We're, we're, we're 24 minutes away from this thing. And we didn't score another point. We lost 41-33. And I remember being dejected, and I remember thinking, how could this be? But I remember even as a, as a weaker Christian understanding, I, do, I think this happened for a purpose, and it did. Because it exposed how sports was my idol. But we all value something. You value something. And in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, in these two very short parables, Jesus shows us individuals who are willing to sell everything that they have in order to obtain something which is precious. So look again at verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So they find something of value and they're willing to give up everything for it. And then in his second parable, verse 45, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, 
went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, he finds a, a pearl so valuable, a jewel so valuable, that he's willing to sell everything he has in order to obtain it. So the question we have to ask is, what is it that is so valuable that Jesus says people are, should be willing to give up everything that they have in order to obtain it? And the answer to that question is salvation. In fact, we could even say not just salvation, it is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is worthy of our entire life. He is the one who is the center of human history. In fact, we did a whole calendar system based off his birth. We need to understand what Jesus, is, what Jesus stated in his earthly ministry was that he himself was the Savior, is the Savior. This, when Jesus says you, in these parables that you give up everything for this thing, that's reminiscent of what Jesus says the cost of discipleship is. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You give up everything for me or you don't have me. So what I want to discuss this morning is why is Jesus so important? And I have a large context that I want to go and bring this into because there are some of you here today who were born in church. You were born on Friday, your parents had you in church on Sunday, and you've grown up under the umbrella of what we call the church. There are some of you who have been in a, who would maybe consider yourself Christian, but you've never really been to church. You go to a Christian school, so maybe you identify because you are here. And then there are some of you from our, maybe our international students who have not had the opportunity to be uh, raised in a context where we believe there is a God and we believe that uh, under this umbrella of Christianity. So this morning I want to present in my short time why Jesus is so important for us. And in order to do that, I want us to, to spend the rest of our time with a couple verses in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I come to you not only as a pastor and a preacher, but having grown up in the church. So those of you who can, who can, who can if I were to say, hey, could you raise your hand, don't do it. But who can I get, identify as someone who was born in the church, or you, if you're born in a church, that's really weird, cool story. Uh, but you were born in a family that attended church, or you were, uh, you know, you've been around the gospel most, that was me. I got saved at the age of five. My grandfather was a preacher of the gospel. He was a missionary to Korea for for a few years before coming back and spending the rest of his time as a pastor. I, I, that was me. And as I got saved at the age of five, and now as I'm 35 today, in those 30 years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you. Jesus has not always been precious to me. It is possible, Christians, listen, to know the gospel, but to not have Jesus as the object of your faith. We can allow sin to come in and say we're Christian and have Jesus kind of be the add-on, like a lot of Buddhist cultures where you have several gods and then we just add an extra god to it. That's not how we, Jesus isn't a spare tire, he is the object of our faith. And I want to talk again about why this is so important. So why is Jesus Christ so important to us? Why is he the central figure? Why is he this polarizing figure uh, throughout the world for the past two centuries? Well, we need to start with some basic 
Remember, I've got a wide range of, of an audience this morning, but we have to start with a, a worldview. How do you view the world? And so we're going to go to God's Word and see how do we view the world. So let's look at verse 18. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now verse 18 starts with a presupposition. There is a God. Now there are many belief systems. There are some religious systems which believe that there are multiple gods or polytheism. There are some faiths that teach uh, that there is one God and He's difficult to get to or or that you have to do good things to get to Him. But whatever that is, the Bible states there is one God and that He has revealed Himself as we'll see here in a moment. Now some of you come from a, a different belief system. And, you, and, and, your, and your belief system, everybody has a belief system, by the way. If you believe there is no God, maybe you were born in a culture where, where the belief is atheism, there is no God. That, that in itself is a belief. I believe there is no God, and therefore I live my life out of a system in which there is no God. But the Scriptures teach us that there is a God. There is a supreme being. There is a, one who was never uh, Never has a beginning. The Creator, the one who is above all, we call him his sovereign. He is, he's over all. He is so large that we cannot fathom. I, I could preach for a thousand years and still never touch all that God is because humanity cannot truly comprehend all that is divine. We can only understand what is revealed. So the scriptures are clear. Brothers and sisters, students, listen, there is a God. And He created all things. And He's revealed Himself to us. Romans 1 says He's revealed Himself to us in creation. The birds and the trees, the skies, the mountains, they all declare that there is something greater out there. They, they, uh, they declare God's glory, that there is a divine being out there. Every culture understands that for the most part. If we were to, uh, our church had took our first missionary on. It was wonderful. And the missionary we took on specializes in a, he's the head of a missions organization which goes into really hard places. And so we got to watch these videos. And if you've been in Mr. Mankin's class, you've probably seen a few of them. But basically what he does is he goes into these difficult parts of the world and shows what the world religions are like and how the gospel is spreading. But in these foreign, uh, in these other places, these people have a faith system. They believe there is a deity. Well, how, how do they know that? Because creation testifies that. People, you have to work to believe there is no God. They, they see that there is a God. And so they're figuring out how do we worship Him? How do we worship Him? How can we uh, get to Him? So, number one, there, there is a God. Now, I need to explain to you this God's character. He is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is kind. He is just. He is holy. He's not an old guy in the sky going to throw a lightning bolt at you. He is the most benevolent, gracious being that has ever existed. But Romans 1.18 focuses on one particular passage or attribute, I should say. I'm sorry. One attribute of God's character because God has a, a, a ton of characters. But there's one in particular, Romans 1.18. There is a God, look at verse 18, but for the wrath of God. That's the subject of verse 18. There is a God, and this is probably going to sound very unloving, but He is angry. 
You say, well, I don't like the idea of an angry deity. Why does God have to be angry? I've always been taught that God is loving and He's kind and He's gracious. God is loving, He is kind, and He is gracious. But please understand, in our day and time, the one attribute of God that gets downplayed is His wrath. It's His, wrath, his anger. And Romans 1.18 says, There is a God and He is angry. But His anger is not like our anger. Our anger is not perfect and just. Our anger is selfish. If you do something to me, I may get angry, and I might have a false motive for being angry. I might stub my toe on the bed as I get out in the morning. I might bite my lip and get angry. That's not good anger. When God gets angry, He gets angry for the right reasons, because remember, God is perfect, and He is holy, and he is passionate about his holiness. He's passionate about his glory. And so he being a perfect God is angry and his wrath is shown against those things which are not perfect and holy. So the question we have to ask is, what is it that God is angry? Or who or what is God angry at? If, if the subject is God's wrath, or is, is God's wrath, what is it Pushed, what's the direct object of it? What is, the, what is that wrath being directed towards? Let's look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed or shown from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So what does that mean? I'm going to probably say the most offensive thing you'll hear all morning. That God's wrath is directed towards you. God's wrath, according to Romans 1.18, is directed against all human beings by birth because they are sinners. Now some of you say, well, how could God be angry with me because, you know what, I'm a good person. Now the Bible states that we are all quick to declare how good we think we are. But you and I both know, are we really that good? If I were to test you and to really sit down and, 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 and just discuss that with you, do you really think you're a good person? One of the ways that we know God, that there is a God, is that He's revealed His truth into our hearts. So in other words, there is a law, Romans says, written on your heart that's universal. So whether you were born in Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, China, Japan, Korea, it doesn't matter. You know in your heart that it is wrong to lie, lie, steal, cheat, to murder. How come we can go to all these different cultures and know that these same basic principles are wrong? Because the law was written on your heart. That's from God. Romans says that God is, we were made in His image, and He put His law on our heart. And the problem is we know God's law, but we were born to break them. As sinners, you break God's law. Have you ever lied? Well, yes. Therefore, you are a liar. Have you ever hit your sibling or said something verbal and hateful to your sibling? Or towards your parents? Congratulations, you're hateful. The Bible says that's murder. 
Have you ever taken something or done something that doesn't belong to you? Have you ever looked at a man or a woman in a, in a way that does not honor God? Brothers and sisters, students, please listen. You are not a good person. I am not, I'm not standing over you saying you're terrible. I'm standing as your equal. I, there is nothing good that lives inside of me, and there's nothing good that lives inside of you. I have no righteousness, and neither do you. And that should scare the fool out of you. There is nothing good. Nothing, Paul says nothing good dwells in him. Nothing good dwells in any of us. We're not good people. You say, well, the Bible says that God loves everybody. Well, you, you are correct. God has extended his love. He does love. And how God's love and his wrath go together are a beautiful thing that I don't have time to explain this morning. But we're going to see his love displayed. You see, there is a God, and he is angry, and that anger and that wrath is directed towards you in your sin. You are a sinner, and because you and I are sinners, you and I are incapable. Please understand that. Incapable, incapable, unable to meet God's standards. What's that mean? It means you can't work your way to heaven. You could go get a job where you make a million dollars a year. You could take your paycheck after taxes and give it all the way, all the way to a homeless shelter or to a women's shelter or to a pregnancy clinic. You could do all the good works that you wanted to do, and it will not buy you five minutes in heaven. You say, why? Because your good works are nothing. You're a sinner. You cannot satisfy the wrath of a holy God. You say, well, this sounds like terrible news. It is. He says, it sounds hopeless. You are. In your fallen condition, you and I have no hope. Do you really think you and I could atone for our sins? But brothers and sisters, students, please listen, there is hope. Which is the purpose for what we're going to get at this morning very briefly in our time. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And where do we find hope? It's found in Christ. There is a God, and He is angry. And that anger is, is directed towards those of us who do not know God. But the hope is this. And why is Jesus so important? Jesus is important because He is our only hope. The whole world stands condemned. Man sinned against God. Adam and Eve uh, could not, uh, because of their sin, uh, separated us from God. And being their descendants, we are separated. But because man has sinned against God, we're supposed to make things right. And the problem is we can't. We cannot atone for our sins. But God in His love did something that you and I could never do. Because we could not atone, and man had to atone, God sent His Son. I've been asked to write a paper or not to write a paper, to write an article in, uh, for one of the local newspapers here, and they want me to write about Christmas. Do you know what Christmas is a reminder of? You know, gifts, Santa, the birth of Jesus. You know what the birth of Jesus reminds me of? That you and I couldn't do it. God had to send his son to die for us. Why? Because you and I couldn't do it. It's a haunting reminder and a beautiful reminder that you and I cannot atone for our sins. So God sent His Son to do what we could not do. 
He was born of a virgin. He had a supernatural birth. He lived a sinless life. Perfect. Which is important. Because he lived a sinless life, it means he could die a death that would satisfy the wrath of God. You and I are sinners, and our death would be just. We die and we go to hell. But Christ died a sinless life he lived. He died to satisfy God's wrath. That's what 1 John 2, 2 says. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that word propitiation is just a big word that means wrath-bearing sacrifice. God's wrath is directed towards you, but God sent Jesus to bear God's wrath so you don't have to. Brothers and sisters, that's beautiful news. Listen to me. The wrath of God, Hebrews 12, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And brothers and sisters, we don't have to because Christ took God's wrath for me. As my testimony of being saved for 30 years is that I'm way worse than I ever thought I ever was. There's the, the sin that is in me runs deep. I, I was doing yard work yesterday and my, we were getting rid of a rose bush, so I had to gut it out of the ground. So the, I thought this shouldn't, be, this shouldn't be hard at all. So I'm finally on my hands and knees with a shovel digging this thing out of our yard and, and it just takes forever. So finally I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm digging, and finally I pull out this root system which is just massive. I'm a big boy and I don't like to sweat. I'm like yanking this thing out. And why, am, why is it taking so long to do this? Because the roots of this rose bush go all the way down. And it's a perfect illustration that the sin in me, guess what? Runs deep. And the sin in me runs in every area of my life. And I am deserving of God's wrath. I deserve to go to hell. But God loves me. And He sent His Son to put... Him on the it pleased God to bruise His Son for us, and I want to I want to say this to you as 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 we you see what's the purpose for there's two main things I want to push out of this number one if you're here and you've never repented of your sins turned from your sins and given your life to Jesus the Bible says that today is the day of salvation if you've never and I say this not to scare you I say this as a as a as a pastor who is, as, is the man of God right now for you, speaking God's word and truth, I say this in love. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are in danger. You need to be saved from yourself, from your own destructive sin, and from God's wrath. And God has already thrown out the lifeboat, if you will. He's, he's thrown out that life raft. He has sent His Son to die for us. Therefore, you have a decision. You can either turn from your sin and give your life to the man who bore God's wrath, or you can say, I will stand in front of God on my own. And brothers and sisters, as I've stated, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't do it. I plead and I beg with you this morning, do not do it. International students, please listen. I don't know the culture or context you're coming from, but please understand that the God of the United States, that's over the United States, is the God that's over Asia and Europe and South America and over Mexico and over everything. He is the God that every person will have to bow their knee to. I beg you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'm pleading with you, be reconciled to God. Why is Jesus so important? Why do, you, why, do we, why do your parents 
send you here? Why, why do your parents pay money when they can send you to free somewhere else? They send you here, hopefully, because it's a Christian school which is centered on Christ. There, our only hope is Jesus. And the goal is that you would hear him here. Do not take that for granted. So if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you must admit that you're a sinner and give your life to Jesus. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Stop living for himself. Take up his cross and follow me. In other words, you follow me with everything. Just as a merchant goes and gives up everything for a pearl or finds something of value and sells everything he can have, he has to, to, to obtain it. The second group I'm going to talk to very shortly here is for those of you who know Christ. If you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are saved and nothing can ever take that away from you. Romans 8 is a beautiful passage. Those of you who are new, he predestined, he, he called, he sanctified, justified, he glorified. Who shall separate us from the love of God? The Clint Child's version? Nothing. No one. But there can still be a danger for those of us who know Christ. You say, what is that danger? That we become passive when it comes to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And teachers, I'm talking to you as well because as a pastor... I struggle with this too. I have to make sure, because my heart is an idol factory, to make sure Jesus is the center of my, he's the object of my faith. And students, if you're here and you know Christ and Jesus is not the object of your faith, you will not live a God-honoring life. Jesus is not your spare tire. He is worth your total commitment. Remember the commitment you made. You gave your life to him. You were bought with a price. You were adopted into the family of God. You are his. Now surrender everything you are to him. Because the temptation we have is to die to our sins, trust Jesus, live for Jesus, and then try to pick up our life again, as if we run our life. Been there, done that, it doesn't work. Some of you may be called to do great things, to surrender fully, as in missions, ministry, praise God. But whether you're called to go to the foreign field, or stay home and raise a family here in Central City. Your calling is no different. Your calling is to stay faithful to the one who saved you. And if Jesus is not precious to you, believer, please listen. God didn't shift. God didn't move. Your sin has blinded you. So what's the remedy? Repent. And do what you're supposed to do. Love Jesus. Love His Word. Pray. Grow that relationship. Jesus says, abide in me. Because listen to me. I don't care what you value now. But nothing, nothing is more precious than Jesus Christ. Nothing in years to come. You'll never say, I wish I had better Wi-Fi service. Or I wish I had a more updated cell phone. I recently received news. One of my college professors growing up died. Dr. Sewell was a very godly man. He had cancer for 12 years, was in pain, but still taught. In his dying days, he was still coherent. His grandchildren, his wife, were asking him, and Dr. Sewell's only regret was this. He says, I wish I would have done more for Jesus. He's not the first person to say that. Students who know Christ, stop with the pettiness. Live for Jesus. If you know Christ, tell others about Jesus. Listen, there are students here that don't know Christ. 
I know it's a shock, but there are people who attend a Christian school who aren't Christians. I've been around Christian schools, I know. Talk to your family, your parents. Follow Jesus. He is precious. You will never regret it. Students who don't know Christ, again, I beg you, if you've got questions about the gospel, pull Mr. Gibb, pull, pull a teacher aside. Say, explain this gospel to me. Because everything is centered on Jesus. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And I thank you for an opportunity to spend time with these students this morning. Lord, I thank you that the gospel is true. And Lord, I pray this morning that the word of God will not return void. I pray that you'll save somebody this morning, Lord. Grow somebody in their faith. But Lord, help me as a pastor, as a, as a dad, but most importantly as a disciple and follower of Jesus, to keep Christ as the center of my faith. Lord, help me to guard my heart against sin so I can keep your son in his proper place. And Father, I pray for those here who may not know Christ. Oh, Lord, convict them. Stir their heart. Break them that they may be saved. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.